0: Hello and welcome back to another special episode of Talking Dogs. I'm Graham Hall. You might have seen me on televisions, dogs behaving very badly. I like to dress up in tweed, a cravat and proper shoes for that. Uh, Or you might know me from this very podcast. I'm afraid I don't always wear my waistcoat for this one, but I am still wearing my cravat. There are certain standards to maintain, after all. This is the place where I get to use my years of experience training dogs to help you with the problems you're having. I've covered everything from barking and biting to travelling and toilet training. But dogs are all unique, so there's always going to be lots more to talk about. Now, you, dear listener, are the lifeblood of this podcast. Without you, I wouldn't have anybody to give advice to, would I? So, thing is, some of your problems are a little bit above my pay grade. I, I know, Graham doesn't have the answers to everything. Shock or right? Well... Sometimes what seems like a behavioural issue actually needs a medical solution. So I've brought my vet mate in to help. Now, where I'm the dog father, this man is the Yorkshire vet. And he does have a real name. It's Julian Norton. Hi, Julian. Hi, Graham. How are you? I'm very well, thank you very much. So we met, didn't we, some time ago? We bumped into each other in the, the
1: ITV This Morning studio. We did... And it was almost exactly, just over a year ago, I think, and it was a most surreal day, I think, for both of us. You've been on talking to Holly and Philip Schofield and I was just about to go on, I think, and we were in the green room and it was, I found it a totally surreal experience because we're not, well, we are television people now, but we're not really television people, not like, you know, Matthew Wright and not like Lorraine, who we also met that morning. So I found it totally Mm. surreal to be talking to you and people were coming up to you wanting selfies and wanting autographs and wanting advice on naughty (sighs) cocker spaniels And, and there we were, two fairly normal people from Yorkshire standing in the middle of... Television Centre in London. It was it was quite an exciting uh, day, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was quite funny because I, I remember when we first
0: clapped eyes on each other. It, was, it I think we both had that moment where we went, "Oh, it's you off the telly!"
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, yeah. We had this chat about the nature, I suppose, but but being Yorkshire for a start and all that kind of stuff. And um, and I remember saying to you because um, you asked me, you know, what's next? You know, what you got lined up? I said, "Oh, I've I've um I've just agreed." to write a book. Of course it's out now, All Dog's Great and Small, and you said I'll write the foreword. So I was very grateful, um, this famous guy, the Yorkshire vet, writing the foreword for my little book. Um, <laughs> but I didn't realise that you were going to unleash the word ejaculate on the world in my book. <laughs> uh, I know, but I've... it is a technical medical expression,
1: I suppose. Tell us that. It is, yeah. I mean, I feel really bad now in, in, uh, in hindsight. <laughs> and I thought, well, I'm, I'm sure I can think of something to write about that's to do with dogs, you know, behaving badly, inappropriately, incorrectly, or, or whatever. And this story came back to my mind of, of this um, this chap who was mortified every time the phone rang. His dog ejaculated all over the kitchen floor, I think it was, or the hall floor or something. So wrote wrote this <laughs> forward talking about dogs and behaviour and how some of it was, you know, veterinary based and some of it was, you know, sort of dog based. Never in a million years, thinking that your publishers would allow the word ejaculates to appear (laughs) on the very first page of the book. So I'm sorry about that. It seems to set the book off on an alarmingly uh, rude tone. But uh, I hope it's not caused anybody any offence. It
0: was quite funny because when I, when I recorded the audio book, I had a bit of a laugh with that because it was a Yorkshire farmer, wasn't it, who, yes, yeah. who, who said, I've got, I've got this funny problem, you know, <laughs> and you always think, hey, well, I, I've probably seen it before, but maybe not, you know, and it's like, well, no, that is a good one, isn't it? On command when the phone rings. <laughs> so I remember reading it out on the audio thinking, this is quite funny. <laughs> it's funny, you know, we've never talked about that story. I, I think it's just he was get for whatever reason, he was obviously getting a bit excited when the phone rang, as often dogs do, yeah. but... Sort of it, it, it turned in a different way, but it's a, the answer to that one. Funny enough, uh, and you, you know, if you if you listen to the podcast and you do have a problem with a dog doing that every time the phone rings, uh, everybody be ringing in now. going, Oh it happens all the time. <laughs> is just it, it would all be about keeping the dog a bit calmer more of the time, you know, so that they're not sort of overexcited and
1: putting the phone on silent, maybe.
0: Julian, last week I was talking to uh, Joanna Scanlon, and uh, she's the narrator on Dogs Behaving Very Badly, and she was saying how her Staffy Millie is getting on a bit now, and she wants to know uh, how to deal with that period of a dog's life because she's not sure that she did the right things, or I suppose cope particularly well when her last dog got sort of doggy dementia. So, and uh, obviously I know it's called canine cognitive mm. dysfunction or CCD. So, tell us a little bit about it. What what is
1: ccd well it's i think it's now a, a fairly well recognized kind of syndrome c- condition whatever you want to call it really or the way i understand it, it it's simply dogs just losing the faculties really there's nothing more complicated than that in in my view the synapses get a bit slower it mm-hmm. does just get more difficult for dogs to think things through in a yeah. clear way we, we might do sudoku puzzles when we're getting old to keep our brain alert but dogs don't have that luxury and i think they just start to you know lose the plot a little bit and it can be really quite distressing i think we yeah. we, we sort of view it as as a bit of a light-hearted problem but it can be quite upsetting for dogs and and owners as well i, I think
0: that's right um I, I, you know in terms of spotting it I, so there's a couple of classic things when sort of people talk to me about it and, it, and it's things like when you get an older dog who sort of Sometimes they they almost forget where to go to the toilet. Yeah. Now it could be a physical thing, an organic thing that there's a you know a problem down there, so mm. to speak, a medical problem, or it really could be just no i can't remember where the toilet is these days i've lost Mm. it and the other sort of classic is when you you get a dog just that's going to get lost in their own house yeah you know they can't remember how to get out the back door and you can see them getting very anxious and you you know and it's very similar i think to to the way it affects humans as well you know that sort of frustration anxiety that that comes with it so
1: and how common do you think it is i think it's it's Quite common, and it's definitely something that people are more aware of. Perhaps in the past, you know, a dog that goes to the toilet in the kitchen rather than outside on his walk, you'd think the dog's simply getting incontinent. And that can be the case. There can be, as you say, mm. physical problems that, that lead to loss of control. I think it's quite common. Dogs and cats are, are living a lot longer these days. Um, the benefits of better preventative mm. health care and so on and, and better treatments for some of the conditions i think dogs you know enjoying life well into you know late teens in some cases and something's got to sort of give way so i think it's i think it's pretty common certainly dogs beyond sort of mid teens i saw a, a border terrier just yesterday that was that was 13 that was doing exactly all these things standing staring into space right. forgetting where to go going outside coming inside just standing there with his sort of head down and his legs and they were Yes, he'd got some stiffness in his hips, and yes, he'd got some muscle weakness. But mm-hmm. you know, you could tell that he's just—he—he he wasn't all there. And it's made worse, you know. All the faculties go. Eyesight tends to diminish with age. Hearing tends to go. Mm-hmm. That makes it even more kind of upsetting because all the stimuli. Dogs, as we know, have got such fantastic senses. They can hear things and see things and smell things in such an acute way, way beyond mm-hmm. what we're capable of. As mere humans, when they go, they're really bereft of a lot of of stimulus, and similar to to an, an old person in a in you know care home without any visitors being able to go, mm. it's the same kind of thing. It's a very bare environment, and I do think it's something that we need to, as vets and possibly as owners, be a bit you know be conscious of the yeah. problems that might be there in the dog's little uh, little head. So, what sort of things can a vet do to help in a case like this? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think definitely it's important to ascertain what element of the condition is, is a sort of physical one. So, you know, the dog that goes to the toilet in the in the kitchen, is that because his hips are stiff and he can't get up and he can't make it down the steps to the garden, in which case, it, you know, mm. things like analgesics or anti-inflammatories or drugs to modulate deteriorating joint function may well be the answer. Um is the confusion setting in because the eyesight's going and, and the poor dog can't see where we used to be able to see. So I think as vets we can do the tests and, and so on and examinations to work out whether the, there's genuine physical problems there. Beyond that, I think if we can treat those things, treat the incontinence with incontinence medicine, for example, treat stiffness with you know drugs like that if the eyes have got pathology Mm. we can sometimes treat that is the dog tired because he can't get he can't get up because he's tired because his heart's not working you know we do all those things that there's conventional medicine that works very well when appropriate to fix those things um but there are medicines available and and products around that can be specifically used to improve cognitive function in, in old dogs um, supplements of some types, and there's there's other drugs that modify and improve the blood flow to to parts of the brain that are sometimes quite helpful. Uh, it depends a little bit on on the case, but it's definitely worth exploring.
0: Yeah, I've become aware of those kind of drugs as well in in, in recent years. I think from a from a behaviour point of view, uh, there's a couple of real simple things. Is is if if they if they are getting a bit confused, one of the simple things you can do is just just not rearrange the house. Um, <laughs> as staffed as that might sound, um, same when dogs start to lose their eyesight. You know, we're inclined to sort of sometimes rearrange the living room and do all sorts of stuff in the house. Just try and keep things steady state, so your dog sort of knows where things are. And the overall overriding thing with a, with an older dog is he or she can't help it. No good telling him off. That really isn't going to help. You're going to make him more anxious. So if there was ever a place for sort of purely positive, this is it really. You wouldn't tell off an older dog with these kind of cognitive problems any more than you would tell off a person who was suffering with dementia. So it's one of those things where we can't cure things but we can manage them in a, in a yeah, good way. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, think
1: it, it's, I think it's really important, and I think dead, you're dead right, you know, kind of the opposite, almost giving extra support, having, you know, maybe the radio on if the hearing's going a little bit so there's some stimulus there, maybe trying to be with the dog, more touching him on his head. I mean, I was, I was with a, a dog the other day who, who was deaf, poor, poor chap, who we, we had to put down, sadly, and he, he, he couldn't hear anything, not particularly through old age. And he'd learned, the dog had learned hand signs. So, as I went up to the little guy and, um, you know, to sort of say cheerio and get everything ready, normally you'd talk and, and give comforting language and stuff. But in Dobby's case, the little uh, Jack Russell, I just gave like a thumbs up sign and I kept giving him thumbs up signs. And he knew that that was a signal for it's ah. fine, don't worry, everything's <sighs> okay. And just stuff like that. that yeah. that, that oh, bless you. You know, things to reinforce to the. To, to the geriatric dog, that, that things are okay, and stroking, touching, sitting—you yeah. know—with him, and, and, and this sort of thing are all positive things that can, uh, just like you would with a, an elderly person, holding their hand, singing them a song, this sort of thing is all, I think, quite quite beneficial.
0: Dementia obviously isn't the only thing to look out for in dogs when they get older, and. Lou has sent me an email, and I reckon we can both chip in with a bit of help here. So Lou says, we inherited my uncle's Jack Russell Terrier about seven years ago. She's now getting on and at the ripe old age of 15, and she's got heart and kidney failure. So she's turned deaf, apparently, bless her. She's got very few teeth left, and she just happily potters around the house. Great so lou saying that their issue is that anytime they take her for a walk she just wants to fight with any dog she sees still at 15 years old so she screams and twirls around and she's a total social (laughs) outcast
1: typical jack russell
0: so lou saying it's such a shame for her and us um please could you tell me if it could ever be sorted out can you teach an old dog new tricks what do you reckon
1: I think it's going to be very difficult to teach an old Jack Russell new tricks. <laughs> I, I think some dogs with age, if they do have that kind of tendency to snarl and snap, I think some dogs, that that does sort of ameliorate and and settle and calm. And I've seen a number of old dogs who, once upon a time, in their young kind of heyday, would scrap with anyone. And then as they get older, they just calm down a little bit. So yeah. I think sometimes age... You know, the benefit of age and, and wisdom is beneficial to this sort of thing. But other times it can actually go the other way. I think if you're an older dog with sore joints, for example, that can add to that sort of low level of irritability mm. or, you know, just the loss of hearing, you know, might make dogs react in a, in a more sudden, dramatic way because they've not had a chance to prepare for somebody mm. coming kind of from behind. In terms of teaching an old Jack Russell new tricks, I, th- I think that's going to be really difficult personally (laughs) that was your trick
0: question that one there's no answer to that one (laughs) no um yeah i think it's it's interesting i've seen that a lot as well that it, it often goes one or two ways and it you know the more we talk about dogs the more i think this is this is quite like humans, isn't it? We get older, and we either mellow out a bit, or we become cantankerous old old gits, really. Mm, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, And you see it in dogs, but also I think what's what sometimes goes on is what I call the bear with the sore head syndrome. You know, mm. so what I would say, you know, to Lou is if you think there's there's any chance that he's in pain for whatever reason, again, it's a it's a it's to go get him checked out with the vet because it may well be that you can get him on some some pain relief that takes away that constant nagging pain that actually can cause a dog to be sort of badly tempered if you like, if if they hadn't been previously. I think in this particular case it does sound like he's been like that for, for or she actually, has been like that for uh, for, for all her life so she's probably unlikely to change. It's an interesting question though about teaching old dog new tricks. Uh, generally speaking it's amazing what old dogs will learn and somebody said to me years ago that a puppy you sort of teach them they forget you teach you forget you teach them to forget but in the end they get it with an older dog it takes longer to go in but once it's in it's in if you've got an old dog you know don't stop teaching them things they'll they'll learn stuff all right but mm -hmm. yeah i think lou you you, you're going to struggle a little bit if we're honest um um, with the hearing issues, as as you just said, Julian, it struck me as well that sometimes as they get startled, don't they? It's like, what the heck was that? You know? Yeah,
1: and and the same with vision as well. If if you've got dogs with poor eyesight, it's the same kind of thing, isn't it? The, the things happen all of a sudden. Mm. They can't prepare for somebody approaching them or another dog coming up, and so it adds to the yeah. general level of kind of mental kind of uncertainty i suppose if there's variables that that uh, they can't predict i've i've found you know when they when they start to lose their eyesight talking
0: to him a bit more in the right way you know works um the the, the classic you know is you get a dog who's losing his eyesight but he's just just chilling out on a bed and somebody goes to stroke him and it's like what the you know and they'll maybe have a little nip where they never would have done and so you, you just got to get into a, a different routine really and, and it's like, hi there you know you let them know you are coming, that kind of Definitely. thing and I think you could do that on a walk as well you know it's like oh it's Millie's here hello Millie yeah you yeah. know it's like oh that, that dog Millie's coming you know dogs aren't stupid um mm. and you've just got to bear in in mind you know what's it like from their point of view and you know thinking those terms I've got another uh, great little question here. Patrick's been in touch with a uh, question that I reckon a lot of people will will wonder about at some point. Uh, and it's this, we're getting our dog neutered soon and we're dreading him having to wear the cone for 10 days or so. You know, we know from previous experience with collars that he's going to go mental. Uh, so <laughs> any tips at all, please? What do you think?
1: Yeah, cones, the cone of doom, the cone of uh, of whatever. I mean, they're, they're awful things. Elizabethan collars, we used to call them. Then they were called cones, and I, I, I don't like them at all. I think if you're going to design anything to confuse and frighten a dog, a hard piece of plastic that makes mm. the diameter of, of the head three times what it previously was is sure to be a bad thing. There's all sorts of ways to avoid cones these days. So it's by no means an automatic ordeal to to be faced with one of those things. A lot of vets now use very fine sutures that don't have any any sort of reaction and dogs don't even feel them. Sometimes we use... Uh, what's called intradermal sutures that that don't protrude from the skin, so that there's nothing for the dog to to lick at. Right. We, we've got. I operated today on a lovely but very exuberant flat coat who came in with a flowing locks of, of uh, glorious <laughs> shiny black hair and went yeah. out looking a bit like one of the Brownlee brothers in a in a trisuit that was <laughs> sucking in all his his bulges. So there's these little. Yeah. I call them tri suits, but they they've got various names: baby girls or onesies, or okay, they've got yeah, a proper name. And they're, but they're like tight fitting, like what you used to put babies in to keep them all together with press studs yeah, and things. Yeah. And some dogs seem to really like wearing them. Um, some dogs. To have a resigned expression when they are squeeze into this suit, um, but either way, it stops it stops any licking, so it's definitely right. more comfortable than a than a hard plastic cone around the head. But I, I operated on a chihuahua last week, and uh, the message was, uh, owner has her own suit or shirt, pet shirt, I think they're called. So I thought, fair enough. We'll use use that anyway. The one that she had must have been from a previous dog, who I suspect was a sausage dog, because the front half of the chihuahua <laughs> fitted in perfectly, and then there was there was about six <laughs> inches of like a like a the sleeve of a jumper with no arm in tra- trailing yeah. along the ground behind her. So you they don't always work perfectly.
0: <laughs> no, you could have got two chihuahuas in there right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> like a pantomime horse. <laughs> I mean, the one thing uh, that, that we, we got with Gordon, and I'm going back a few years, but it was like an inflatable collar thing, Julian. So it wasn't, didn't stick out like a cone. Do you know what I mean? It was I know, a, exactly. What you like mean, yeah. a big blow up doughnut.
1: Yeah, like a rubber ring. Yeah, that was really good, actually. They're, they're quite good. They're especially good if you've got a dog that's uh, prone to going swimming because it acts as like a float, so they can't swim yeah. uh, without drowning. Gordon had one of those on, and he he discovered fairly quickly that it was just a
0: ready-made cushion. It's like wherever he put his head down, <laughs> and he already had a cushion under his neck. He's like, this is good.
1: Like those things we, we wear on um, on aeroplanes when we want to go to sleep.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was like that. But th- th- this one was, it was inflatable, and I thought, yeah, right. But you know a rottweiler is quite a roughy tufty dog it'll be punctured in no time but no it was it was pretty tough actually
1: so uh... I, th- I think they're, they're they're quite good they do have the the benefit of being a lot they don't stick out anything like as far they're no. much more comfortable sometimes they're a bit limited it depends which part of the body you're trying to avoid the dog from licking uh, yeah. but they, they're certainly better than a than a hard plastic enormous comb. Mm-hmm.
0: I know that you've got um, a vet surgery in Weatherby, I think, isn't it? That's fairly new, and you've gone down a a different route,
1: fear-free vets. Tell tell me about that, Julian. Yeah, so we opened uh, Sandbeck Veterinary Centre, which is in Weatherby, as you say, about just over a year and a half ago, and it was um, a a new venture. It was a new practice from scratch. And I got together with an old colleague and and an old schoolmate. And Helen, the main vet, was really keen to embrace the sort of concept of a fear-free practice. And all all three of us have been around for a while. We've we've worked for 20 odd years, all of us in, in practices. So we'd seen the good aspects of vet practices. And we'd seen some of the things that you know, we thought we could do better. And we were particularly aware that some dogs don't like going to the vets a bit, and and some owners don't like going to the vets, a bit like Mm. going to the dentist. It's seen Mm. as a place for things up the bottom and and sharp needles and, and, Mm. and stress and anxiety and you go when you're feeling poorly and you sometimes don't know that you come out feeling better than when you went in. But, yeah, so we thought we'd try and embrace a practice where dogs would come in wagging the tail, they'd go out wagging the tail and where owners would also metaphorically be wagging their tails. It's a sort of simple concept, and it's an obvious one, really, but we, we tried right from the outset. We hadn't got any model to follow or any previous existing structure. Uh, we just thought, right, we'll make this practice exactly how we want it to be mm-hmm. to make sure that it's it's a non-stressful environment for for the animals. So we, we made the way to him, obviously, separated into a uh, you know, dog area and a cat area. We had a nice... Partition with sort of like big sort of pigeonholes for putting cat baskets in, so that they oh. the cats or rabbits, for example, feel secure and safe. They don't feel like they're being watched or looked at. They they're in their own little so cozy, like a little den.
0: Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then the, and the dogs were there. It was nice and big, even down to the the color scheme on on the walls and the floor. Mm. A, lo- a lot of practices tend to go for really clinical. Clean a bit like a dentist, I suppose, white, bright, and sometimes very wow. bright signs and, and things. And we wanted yeah. to be... You know, really brightly coloured chairs that you see in some vets' waiting rooms. Yeah. And, and we didn't want any of that. We wanted it to be, you know, it's not sort of brown and green or anything, but um, it, it's mm. muted colours, which... Uh, and there's a palette, apparently, a, a colour palette that dogs find non-threatening. We chose those colours, sort of more pastel sort of eggshell kind of shades rather than bright colours. Yeah. And things like, you know, obviously we'd, we'd encourage puppies in from being little just to come in, say hello, stand on the scales, have a bit of a yeah. fuss without anything bad happening, with no needles, not nothing bad. And that worked really well. And then even... These things, I think, are they called snuffle mats? They look like oh, a yeah, big, like, a bit like an upside-down mop without the pole attached to it. Mm. And we hide little bits of biscuit in, and the dogs come uh, running in, yeah. wagging the tail, go up to this, looking and sniffing to find little bits of biscuit crumbs. In and that is a perfect distraction for dogs that are really nervous at the vets or find right. it threatening. They can get into their own little world, searching for for crumbs of you know of dog treats in in this thing. Mm. Well, that makes an awful lot of sense. I, mean, I was fascinated to hear you saying
0: just there about the, the colour palace and everything, but when you think about it, it makes sense because nature has a way of... of Telling us that something's hazardous to us or scary. So sounds-wise, I, 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 I don't know if you've ever watched me on the telly. Sometimes with the dogs, you know, it's that that hissy sound. Um, so, yeah. Some dogs just go, "Oh, oh, yeah, don't mess." And it, it, mm. I don't know why it took me so long to realise, but nothing in nature that hisses at you is going to be good, right? You must have tried a gats hiss at you in your time, right? <laughs> but colour-wise, the equivalent is bright colours like yellow and black. You know, anything that's mm. that's yellow, black, yellow, black, like be or a wasp it's gonna hurt you know it's nature's way of saying danger so as you say it's like once you've thought of it it's obvious but um yeah yeah why aren't all vets made like that that's great um one of the things that that you said there i thought was really good that i could pick up on is is that owners often look nervous as well understandably right particularly if you've got a problem with your pet and you're wondering what it's going to be the best thing you can do for your pet is to try and be normal, to try and act as Mm. though it's fine it's all just part of life this you know even if you're not feeling it because they do pick up dogs in particular will, will pick up on your facial expressions the, the way you're holding yourself you know and it helps as well as you've said from a puppy if you i've always said to people make friends with your vet go to, go to the vet take the take the puppy in you know the, usually the the people behind the uh the counter are more than happy to give them a little treat and then it's right nothing bad happened and let's carry on our walk you know <laughs> i definitely story that um my first rottweiler axel was was a big lad big big lad and um i did that with him and it, it sort of backfired in the sense that he loved the vets so much that if you walk past he would just want to get in there so if we were going to visit the vets the business. be me, the dog trainer, trying to keep of a 50 kilo Rottweiler, who just wanted to get to the counter, and all he wanted to do when he got there was
1: was stick two whacking great paws up on the top and go feed me,
0: because
1: <laughs> 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 they loved him. It's a great thing, though. It's great for it's great for the dog. It's great for you. It's great for the vets as well, because it's a brilliant job being a vet. I, I, even on a bad day, it's a brilliant job. But to have a, a day full of happy, friendly dogs wagging the tail that are actually pleased to come in and pleased to see it it makes it even better so it's a win-win for everybody really
0: and that's a lovely thing to hear so listen julian um it's been enlightening and i could talk to you all night but i really really better not so i just want to say thank you very much
1: maybe another time we'll have to do it again sometime
0: Well, that's it for today's Talking Dogs Celebrity Special. I might not be a vet, but I do know a thing or two about dog behaviour issues. So if you think you've got yourself one of those, maybe I can help you. Send an email or a voice note to talkingdogs at avalonuk.com. Tell me a bit about the problem you're having trouble with, and I'll do my best to help you in an upcoming episode. Another famous face, voice actually, uh, will be here next week. So if you haven't already, do hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening to so we can chat again soon. Look after yourself, your loved ones and, of course, your dogs. Bye now.